previously on the Sunless Sura. Positioning your guys to the best of your abilities, you guys get as close as possible to the opening, to the grove. As Methuselah gets into position, as the Dark Warden's form just starts to hang over Methuselah in this, as I cast Cause Fear. Welcome to the fear zone. <laughs> I can't fail us. I won't fail us. And then he's going to, as his action, activate his channel divinity for Paladin of Doubt, the last straw. Finally, when you guys look back, you see Mortis pretty much fallen onto the ground, and the, the crater remains one foot deep into the earth, with every single twig blight shattered. The goblins fall onto the ground, with blood emanating from their mouths, ears, eyes, and noses. Alright, we need to get out of here. Throughout the vastness of the multiverse, there lies a tavern. As you approach its doors, you catch bubbles of laughter that rise and burst into cheers as colorful groups of travelers find comfort in their bonds. As you head inside, the smile of the tavern keeper greets you. They're an otherworldly being with a bluish corporeal form. They wear attire befitting of an innkeeper, and they have a large cloudy nebula for hair speckled with stars, which gently sways with their movement. Welcome to the Storyteller's Tavern, where stories are served like ale and a seat is open for you at every table. Tonight's special is the Sunless Citadel, an epic adventure of high fantasy with notes of friendship, danger, and most importantly, hope. Will our adventure survive to descent into the dungeon, or is there a darker calamity taking roots far from the sun's reach? Within this dark room, full of shelves and tables that seems to hold equipment meant for agricultural research, you guys reside quietly. Mortis is still sitting in silence against the wall. His head is tilted down and the hood of his cloak is covering his eyes, so it's unclear what his emotional state is. I know that Methuselah's sitting and comforting Thorn. Thorn is still crying and holding on to Methuselah. And as for Seeker, they are sitting relatively close to Methuselah and Thorn, but not so close as to crowd the two of them, more like sitting off to the side to protect the two of them. They have one of their daggers in their paw, and they're just keeping watch. I'll say that when Methuselah sees Thorn get a little bit calmer, Ah, uh, Thorn, if there's anything you want to talk about, I'm here. If you're really angry at Mortis, you can yell at me and pretend I'm Mortis. Thorn looks at you with confusion. Why would I yell at you? I'm not mad at you. I'm just saying if you need to let anger out, I'm always here to listen. It's okay. I was just afraid I wouldn't see you again when I went back to darkness. I see. Well, I am here now and I I'm glad that you're back. Thanks. I'm glad too. I just don't know why. And Thorn glances at Morris's direction, but then lowers his voice. Why would he want to do that? Well, I think that his, his goddess has very strict rules about life and death. There are many gods who are very strict when it comes to their beliefs. And most of the time, undead are not like me. They're, they're controlled by others, by evil. You know, we've seen the druid control the 
skeletons down here, sort of like that usually. So I don't think Mortis really expected an undead to be a friend. You seem more full of life than most people we've met down here so far. I guess I just thought that you meant more to him than just that. Well, I'm still here now, so clearly I, I suppose I do. Thorn silently nods, and he continues hugging Methuselah, but he doesn't seem to say much more. Seeker's gonna move towards Thorn, and they're gonna take Faith's blanket out of their bag, and they're gonna drape it over Thorn, and just pat their little brother on the head. If anything, roll a wisdom saving throw, because I would allow you to re-roll the saving throw to get over the frightened condition. Uh, wisdom save is 12. You are able to calm down, and the frightened condition does not affect Seeker anymore. In that case, Seeker is going to go to Mortis. In his own little corner, you guys can distinctly see that Mortis is fiddling with something in his hand, but from the distance, you can't really make out what it is. Hi, hi Mortis? He remains unmoving for a few seconds, and then he slowly shifts his head up. As his face is revealed, you notice that he has tears welling up in his eyes. Seeker is gonna sit down beside Mortis. I I didn't mean to be scared of you at all. Um, I, I just don't really understand what happened back there. I can say the same. It, it wasn't you. I, I'm not. I just... I... I keep hurting people. I'm not sure how to control this power anymore, or even where it's coming from. I I don't really understand where your power is coming from either, but I'm worried about you. I know that you don't really hurt the people that you care about on purpose. At least I I hope you don't. No, I I try not to. I I try to be a, a good and honorable warrior, but I don't know anymore. I... And then he looks down for a second. A paladin's strength is faith in a god or in an ideal, but I am plagued with doubt, and I fear that that doubt is starting to manifest in ways I can't control. I've never really experienced doubt when it comes to my beliefs, but I I feel like a lot of people have and sometimes do, so... You know, it's it's not really your fault at all to sometimes question what you believe. I think in a lot of cases that can be really, really helpful. I feel like I know you and you're not a bad person. Your words are kind, my friend. However, you are wrong. It is my fault in that I sensed this doubt growing in me, but I did nothing to combat it. I assumed that I would be strong enough to fight through it and regain my power, but instead I was walking around letting it build up until it finally... I can't deal with the fact that I... that my lack of control hurt those who have become so close to me. I don't think I can call myself a warrior anymore. Right now I'm just a liability. Well, I don't think that you're a liability, but you know, we're a group and you've been carrying this burden alone and groups aren't really supposed to do that you you could have talked to us and we could have tried to help even if we don't fully know what we're doing or how to help you 
I think that after what happened before with Methuselah, I, I feared that I wouldn't be able to talk through my issues without coming across as weak or misguided. But for where I am now, I know that I cannot push on until this is solved. I must find my center again or die trying. I don't think you're weak for whatever that's worth. You and Methuselah and Thorn and, and Erky and Meepo, y'all are some of the strongest folks I've ever met. Mortis forces a small smile. You know, you may be a cunning rogue, but your greatest strength is your compassion. Even at my most broken moment, you can make me feel that all is okay simply with words. I'm not sure if I have the resolve to push forward, but with you as an ally, I, I believe I can try. Thank you, Seeker. Oh, not, not a problem at all, Ike. You're my friend, and I look up to you. I look up to this whole group, really, and you know, I don't want you to feel like you're a liability or that, you know, there's something necessarily wrong with you. We all have our own issues that we gotta work out sometimes, and there's no shame in that. I know that you can get through this, because you're stronger than you think you are. Mortis stays silent after that, but you can tell from the little glimpse of his face that he's more centered than he was when you first approached him. Seeker is going to take out Faith's cloak, and they're going to drape it over Mortis. Faith is one of the other most strong people I've ever met. Maybe her strength can, can help you through this? Mortis grips the cloak very gently. He smiles. I know how much this means to you, and I will carry it with honor. May it help to guide me back to my path. I, I believe it, Kayan, but I'm here for you. I know you are. That is why I still have the will to fight on. And then Seeker's going to go back to Thorn and Methuselah. Meanwhile, Methuselah will speak up. Thorn, do you remember at the beginning of the adventure you asked me to hold on to a special snowball? I think... I don't think it was me who gave it to you. Well, I was wondering if I could give something to you to uh, hold on to for a little bit. Oh, okay, if it's all right. And Methuselah is going to take off their uh, necklace from Fool's Fortune. I know that you've seen a lot of pain, and it seems like you've been lonely from time to time. You found somewhat a family down here, even though it's it's been quite a strange adventure to find family in. I want you to hold on to this. It can be for as long as you need, but I just want you to know that you're not alone, and, and although I'm undead, I don't plan on going anywhere. I plan to live for as long as I can now that I've been given this chance. So I want you to know that if you ever need me, I'll, I'll always be here. Oh, you don't need to give this to me, Methuselah. This is too special. Luxair tells us that it's important to keep trinkets of those that we care for. And so I, I want you to keep this in sort of remembrance. And for me, I'm used to things sort of having their time. You know, when we walk with people, sometimes our paths fork. So for me, I've walked with this for as long as I need to. So I want you to have it for a bit. Thor nods and wipes some tears away and he'll put it around his neck as best as he can. I'm gonna hug Thorn. You know, the Marquis really doesn't deserve you as a friend. Thorn just silently nods in response. I don't know if you're ready for it, but I think that maybe we should talk to Mortis. Thorn shakes his head. I don't know if... I really want to right now. Well, if you need time, I, I won't push. 
But again, if you need anyone to get your feelings out to, I'm here. Thorn thinks carefully about what he wants to say, and he sort of sighs as he aimlessly fiddles with his hair, braiding it, unbraiding it. Well, it was just... Mortis kind of always was there to help me when things were bad, and he always promised that I wouldn't be alone again and that no one would be hurt. Guess I'm just mad that that seemed to be a lie. Well, I wouldn't say entirely it's a lie. Maybe he, he might have faltered a bit, but... I think that, in his own strange way, he still wanted to protect you. Protect me from what? I don't need to get protected from you, Methuselah. I don't know, sometimes I can be pretty scary. Me and York are quite intimidating. You're more like funny, scary, not scary, scary. I suppose. Mortis was definitely wrong in his thinking, I would say. I suppose he should offer an apology, especially to you. And I think that it would be wise to give him that chance. I know he's been hurting. This hasn't been easy for any of us, but it also hasn't been easy on him. I know that he cares about you. He cares about you a lot. Thorn glances at Mortis and then back at Methuselah. <sighs> I guess. I don't really know if I want to accept it, but if he did apologize, I guess that's okay. Oh yes, and you can take it as slow as you need. You don't have to accept the apology. These things do take time. Thorn nods. But still seems uncertain. Methuselah and Thorn go over to Angsty Mortis. As you guys get close, you notice that he's still toying with whatever's in his hand. And then once you get close enough, you're able to recognize it as the druidic focus that he always carries around. For a few seconds, he doesn't acknowledge your presence. But then after a moment, I can't shake the feeling that she would be disappointed in me if she saw me like this. She was always so strong in her resolve, and now here I am, crying in the corner. At least now you're, you're not crying alone. We're here too. I fear that I am the cause of your crying, my friends. Oh, for me, I, I'm alright. You see that I've caught you in many spells, too many to count, and I do apologize for that. So for me, I, I'm alright. I'm undead. I don't feel much. Despite the circumstance, a small smile does flash across his face before it quickly fades. I know, and it, it's alright. It wasn't really about the spell, it's just the fact that I couldn't control it. I don't know where that power came from. It was sleeping deep inside me when it awakened in my moment of panic. That moment was scarier than anything I've ever experienced. I know now that I am no longer whole. There's something in me that's missing. I feel... And he lets his head sink again. I feel that I have failed you all. And for that, though mere words will not be enough, I can only offer my sincerest apology. Thorn watching, he scoffs. It seems like he wants to be comforting, but he's struggling on how. Instead, he shuffles his feet. I have enough things already. That makes me cry. Mortis meets Thorn's gaze. His expression is fairly neutral, but there's a tint of sadness in it. If you glance at Methuselah, they're doing that mom thing of you need to apologize. Make sure you say sorry. There is a moment of silence before Mortis says anything. I see now just how much I failed you, Thorn. You appeared in my life and I was supposed to protect you too be a sort of guiding force, uh, perhaps even a father, but I became so enraptured in my own journey that 
I lost sight of what was best for you, and though I still hope that I am able to help free you from the Marquis, even in that case, I know that I should have done more. You deserve a better friend and a better father. Thorn scoffs again. He turns away, he breaks eye contact, and crosses his arms. When my father was alive, he'd always tell me that there's no point crying or being so sad all the time. You could tell yourself that you failed over and over again, but that's not gonna fix what happened. You just need to keep going, and you need to get up. So, I guess that's what I want to say to you. Yeah, everything that you did isn't great, but it's time to get up now and to keep going because you won't make things better if you just wonder what could have been or what should have been. You just have to go and do it. Your father sounds like he was a wise man. And then Mortis takes a moment, slowly pulls himself to his feet. Thank you for keeping me honest and helping me to recognize where I may have faltered. I don't think I am whole just yet, but I promise to do everything in my power to regain my faith and to use the strength I once had to protect not just you, but all of you. Seeker is going to approach the group again. Thorn nods. He does take Mortis's hand. It's okay to doubt. It's what makes people better people. If we just blindly follow anything that we're told, then we're just gonna hurt others. So it's okay to feel what you're feeling about your oath, because when you find your way back to it again, you'll be a better person. Uh, if I may, I, I wanna say that I think the three of you especially have powers that you don't really understand where they come from. I, th I think that you guys are stronger than your gods or that that giant scary cat thing in Thorn's case and uh, the scary thing that sometimes happens to Methuselah. You guys are stronger than those things that seek to control you because you don't let them change you. Can we all embrace and share the love together? Yeah, Thorn will make sure that everyone hugs. <laughs> In like a big group hug. Yeah, Methuselah hugs very tightly as, you know, they usually do. Methuselah, when they're in the group hug, their mage hands just make just sure like, that they pat everyone on the back. Yeah, just goes around. Sorry, duck, duck, goose. After like a moment of hesitation, Mortis joins the group hug. Methuselah's gonna look to everyone. I think that Thornin uh, and Seeker are right. Now is not the time for our spirits to break. I think that we're close to the end of this journey that we've been on, and we need to be at our best. To be honest, like Mortis, I don't quite feel like my best. I have the shade, and my magic has seemingly been corrupted by it. I think that there's something that I need to do to make sure that I'm in control of my magic. For this, I need all of you. If that's all right. Well, you know, you can always count on me, right, Methuselah? I'd never let you do it alone. I'm not sure I'm in a great position to help, but I will do what I can, my friend. I think you just being here would be enough. Uh, you hear footsteps approaching and Orky says, I need help. I can try, I guess. The truth is, in some ways, Mortis, you were right about me. I... I am a liar. A very good one. So good that... I 
can convince myself. I try to present myself as hopeful and optimistic, but deep down I really don't believe in my own strength. And I think that's what's the cause of the shade. It's not an entity or a being or a person like the Marquis is. It's a part of me given life. That voice that comes to you when you're not feeling your greatest, tells you you're not good enough, tells you that your friends don't care about you. I need to face it and know the truth. I think I've been blocking it out for too long. I need to know how I died. And then, DM, I would like to use the spell Cause Fear to try to summon the shade. And I'm centering Cause Fear on myself, but I'd like to do something before I do the roll. I like to play a song. When I cast Cause Fear, the shadow beneath me starts to elongate and then rise, and from that shadow, the form of the shade appears, and Methuselah is going to step forward towards it, holding Yorick, and with their friends around them, is just going to say, I know who you are. I know that you're not some scary entity or truly wicked creature. The voice that I had when I was alive, the voice that told me I was never good enough for anything. I wasn't a hero like Chrysantha, and I'd never be worth anything. You are me. You are my voice. Well, me, I've got something I want to show you. And then I'm going to start playing a song on Yorick. It is very different from any other song that you've heard. The instrument itself glows in this bright rainbow light, and even the music starts to get enveloped by this as the usual dark and broody, pretty gertie sounds fade away, and it becomes almost a rock ballad. And it is the song of the Sunless Citadel. The first part of the song is going to be about a small friend who wasn't on our journeys throughout the entire thing, but has been quite a light on our journey so far. So with Lyrta's light, they always helped in a fight. A small friend who brought knowledge and logic to the party, who is here for all our antics and to call us out when we were doing things that might be a bit silly. They're a healer and a friend and someone who's always up for learning and understanding, even when that thing defies logic. And then the song becomes more slow and humming as if the instrument were a box of bees. The tune rises light and playful, hinted with the southern hospitality of Sentry Soul, a feeling that that bard knows well. Then Methuselah starts to sing about a treasure-hunting rogue with the heart of a paladin, a cat who is never alone with their faith to guide them, raised with high expectations and a clear sense of community under the watchful eye of the cat lady. Mischief was their middle name in the temple, as they both got into trouble and trickery with their bard friend, Hummer of Hymns, blowing up a local tomato plant and stealing a holy chalice that to this day, the tabaxi do not know is missing. They were always recognizable by their matching <laughs> Till Faith went on a most holy expedition to retrieve a mythic apple. She sadly did not return, captured by goblins most foul. Our brave hero valiantly volunteered to save their sister. And when strangers arrived in Tom's rest, the rogue showed kindness without cost, even to those who know what it's like to have to hide who they are. When first arriving at the den of vermin and villainy, the rogue shouted their name at the top of their lungs, alerting all the evil that dwelt there that their time had come. When the party was cornered by a gigantic demon, all the rogue had to do was throw a dagger and like a bullseye, hit their mark and sundered the fiend in one hit. When they faced a gorge of lava, the rogue leapt with great speed and cleared it in a single well-timed leap, all the while teaching the other heroes about their culture. 
the playfulness of the cat lady, and playing games with the goblins and kobolds, and cooking the tabaxi delicacy of rats for the party to enjoy. When this rogue heard word of their sister, they leapt into action and almost lost their life, springing through traps and trials just to catch a glimpse of their beloved faith. Descending further, they faced a hobgoblin who wore face cloak, winning back what belonged to them as the war chief was cast off a cliff. And in this dark place, this rogue became a beacon of light and a heart to all. Through the cat lady's grace, found their calling to become a paladin. Then the song becomes more erratic, yet still retaining that lighthearted, cheerful tune. Between the lines, although there is a deep sense of remorse, then Methuselah sings again, this time about a trickster with two faces and his smiling cat. When they only had one face, they lived in a gray world without color, as the trickster's life was filled with loss. A mother taken by the chase of wolves, a father pierced by the sting of arrows, and a tribe who did not accept change. Alone and weeping, he fell into a world of color and happened on a cat who offered friendship to take away the pain. The cat gave the trickster a new face, one that always wore a smile. The trickster's new friends taught them to use the color of magic, all the while stealing black threads of memory from the mind, leaving only the happiest of times. Upon leaving the place of many colors, the trickster found an unlikely friend and a home in the shell of a seasoned samurai, a paladin and a father figure who loved him regardless of his antics. They followed the samurai down, down into the depths in search of a mythic apple. Yet the cat had other plans for this trickster. On this adventure, the trickster met many friends. His sense of fun and silliness brought people together and shared many tricks and games. Snowballs as gifts, chairs as washrooms, secrets as games. Although kobolds and goblins do not often get along, he found family with a small kobold who had lost his dragon. They shared a special bond, showing that friendship shows no bound. And when a secret from an undead was revealed, they were the first to treat it with curiosity. Only the foolish are wise enough to underestimate this goblin. Only the weak do not see this trickster as crafty and creative, for his bravery in the face of intolerance is unmatched. Knowing the danger, he snuck inside the village of goblins who exiled him, and stood bravely before death, asking the goblins to lay down their arms. And in the face of constant loss, he always knew how to smile. And then Methuselah's song slows down as the hum of the instrument continues. It's reminiscent of the lament of a hero. Each note is purposeful and resounding, triumphant and weighted. The bard now sings of a seasoned samurai, many titles, warrior of death, balance keeper, vermin's bane, protector of the weak, and most importantly, friend. Once a hero of black and white, a sword of the ashen cloaks and warrior of the Tension Dynasty, who wore the sigil of the moth on his shell. Under the teachings of Shi, the balance of life and death were clear, until love taught him otherwise. The warrior happened upon a mythic guardian of light, a druid who is said to have felled giants. Her love taught him the true value, and that oftentimes it is not for one man to decide who lives and dies, but the natural course. For some stories end abruptly, like the story of the druid who died too soon, and some stories continue unexpectedly, like the tale of the reborn who questioned the paladin's oath. The samurai traveled far and wide, carrying the emblem of the druid with him to remind him of his love. He brought vermin down low with his blade of light, and even felled a green dragon in a one-on-one -on -one fight. Unexpectedly, this hero happened upon an unlikely friend, a goblin of many tricks and colors. And although troublesome at times, he became a child to the old warrior. And together they trekked into a place of darkness to make sure the apple of virtue did not fall into wicked hands. In the citadel, he always left his enemies shell-shocked. 
His blade struck true with ashen winds of his goddess, which bathed his blade in holy light. When his friends were injured or sick, Samurai used knowledge granted to him by the druid to make sure she's protective wings were around them all. With commanding words, he spoke to Fae and Fiend. With friendship, he became worthy of the greatsword of Alicares. With bravery, he set off traps purposefully to make sure the weak were always kept safe. Upon hearing about the evil druid's plans, his path to protect nature's balance was clear, as the loom of fate often repeats itself, for it was not all that long ago that the Ashen Cloaks once braved this place in search of evil that dwelt here. Unbeknownst to this great hero, the most difficult challenge he had to face was when a friend revealed they were undead. Rightfully angered by the lies they had cast, he raised his holy blade to cut down this foul creature of shadows. Yet this warrior could not kill a friend, for whom is to tell when a story is at its end. Although this path forward is not so clear, this paladin is still an inspiration to those who wish to take up a divine oath. This paladin is still a protector to the small and the crafty who play games with a smiling cat. This paladin is still a friend to the undead who he failed to slay. And this paladin is still loved by the one who taught him the balance of nature. And then, because of this song, as a rule of cool, because this is not part of the raw, I would like to inspire myself. After such a beautiful song, the magical glow of rainbow hues from the strings of your instrument gives you an inspiration. As now, you let the spell take shape. From the multicolored hues, it shifts to a predominant green color that glows quite brightly in this immediate area. And as it does so, the very bottom of your feet stretches. It's not the feet in itself, but the shadow instead. It stretches all the way to the wall, taking shape as if it was you against the light. Slowly appears from the silhouette of yourself the shade. Pale skin, silvery hair, bruised and bloodied, glows aloft few inches above the ground, looks at you and smiles. See the magpie return? Yes, I suppose so. You know who I am, now what do you expect to do? I just need to know the truth. You know the truth. And behind you, you hear the crackling of fire. You hear the whistling of wind, and the rustling of leaves being torn from the branches. You know very well what happens at night. And then laughter, heavy laughter. Laughter that brings shivers down your spine. Want me to do the roll? Yes. I'm using my inspiration. I failed. I got a two. Methuselah starts to crumble as the weight of the memory doesn't necessarily come to its fruition. It starts to make Methuselah just want to escape. You don't need to be here anymore. Don't need to suffer this. You can see that they're starting to panic and they probably will run if people don't do anything. Seeker is going to put their paw on Methuselah's shoulder. Stay strong, Methuselah. You can do this. I, I know you can. Mortis walks over to the other side and places his hand gently on Methuselah's back. You can do this, my friend. You have the strength of not just this lifetime, but the one that came before. Whatever you see, you can defeat it. Thorn will place a hand on Methuselah's waist because Thorn's very short. He'll hold onto the necklace that Methuselah gave him. I know you can find these memories. It's not impossible. You don't need to be afraid. Erky then approaches you. Lyrta will guide you too. You can do this. 
With the help of your friends, you may be able to defeat this. Now, roll it again, as now you have the help of your friends. I got a dirty 20, and my DC is 16, so I pass. So how do you react? I think Methuselah gathers themselves, feeling the presence of their friends there, and gains semblance of strength to stand up again to the shade as the fear passes over them. So you remember the travelers in the night? It's coming back. I need more. I need it all. You were deceived. In the darkness, you followed the light that it was Lutzair's blessing. And yet, that was your ultimate demise. Among smiling travelers, they betrayed you, they hurt you, and took things from you. You only survived because you ran. And you have been running ever since. I think I've been running ever since I left Chrysantha. When I left her and went on this journey, there was many people that wanted to help, and I didn't accept it until it was too late. But now I'm not alone, so I can handle it. The shade smiles even more, but it's not a scorn smile. It's almost like genuine. Say, what am I? I know you're me. I am your pain. I am your guilt. You've been running from me. What makes you think you're not gonna run again? Well, this time I'm not alone. Then let's put this to the test. The shade extends their hands, or the lack thereof, and slowly approaches Methuselah. I'll approach it as well. As you two approach, it finally ends in what surprisingly is an embrace. Methuselah's eyes turns obsidian black as the shade starts to emanate a small greenish glow. The shadow on the wall shrinks back and so does the light of the shade, but not dissipating into the thin air. Instead, the two are absorbed by the musical instrument hanging by Methuselah's side. You find yourself hugging the air, but now complete, feeling that you haven't had in the longest of times. Do the memories of my death come back to me? Yes, all the painful parts, all the scary parts. But now, you are full. Methuselah having gained these memories back, they start crying and they look breathless and just out of it. And their eyes as well don't really turn back to the green. They just linger in that obsidian state. Arky approaches, make sure that Methuselah is okay. Looks at you, sees you crying. Methuselah, can I help? No, it's... I think I'll be alright. I know the truth now. You wanna talk about it? We can give you a moment if you need it. Methuselah will pick themselves up a bit and look to their friends. I think it will help to get it out in the air, if that's alright with everyone. Of course, my friend. We are here to listen. I'm always here to listen to you, Methuselah. I would never want you to go through any of this type of stuff alone, and you went through it alone, and that's painful enough, so let us share that burden. You say you're always there to listen to me, so of course I'm just gonna be here to listen to you. Alright, there was a storm that ill-fated night. Yes, sir, I remember it so vividly. Instinct told me to find shelter, but my will kept me moving. My stomach was burning and my body begged for a rest. By Luxair's lantern, I could hardly keep my eyes open. I was so tired. Delirious, I thought I saw towers in the distance. Towers meant a village. Towers meant an answer. So I, I hiked off the beaten path and went through a thicket to a smaller trail. 
My heart tarried on the moment I returned to my love with the cure in hand. That's when I stumbled upon a particular band of humans, and there were also some elves and dwarves and halflings as well, I believe. I've encountered plenty of other travelers on the road before, and despite my usual hospitality, I wanted to avoid them. But as I passed, a woman called out to me. She had such stark green eyes and soft scales that glimmered on her arms and neck and cheeks. Features were elongated and alluring. I remember she went by Eris. Eris offered me a place to rest till the storm passed with her merry band of travelers. I was at first quite reluctant, and I brushed her off. She insisted that I wouldn't last much longer on my own. I looked so tired and withdrawn. I was going to decline. Then Eris showed me a staff that she had. It was a symbol of Luxair, with a lantern at the top. A symbol of safety for people like me. She said that she's a worshipper of Luxair. She couldn't see me to go on alone. Wouldn't be right by Luxair's teachings. So I trusted her and decided I could afford a moment's rest. Eris's band shared their food, fire, and friendly conversation. They dined on this odd, stringy stew that tastes like pork. Although I didn't care much for the taste, food was food. Eris, she spoke to me the entire evening. She kept asking about where I was from and why I was traveling, trying to pick me clean of information. Of course, Eris got me talking about Santa, and I couldn't help myself. I missed her so much. Eris was sympathetic and even offered to guide me to the next town in the morning. In return, I promised I'd play her song after I had rested, Chrysantha's song. Then I felt dreary, and my head like a bloom of fog. It's like it eclipsed my mind. I uh, must have passed out. Then I was stirred awake by a hot pain, which shot up my right arm. Eris loomed over me, holding me to the ground. She clutched a bloody cleaver in one claw and severed right hand in the other. I tried to move, tried to escape, but I was too weak. She laughed and hissed with a show of her fangs. Then she took my other hand. The pain was terrible. All I could think of was going back to Chrysantha. How much time I was wasting, how foolish I had been to rest. Bandits pulled me to my feet. They forced my instrument into my arms. My body turned cold when I heard them mock. It's a bard without their music. Come on, play us a song. I couldn't play. That's all my mind could think about. I couldn't make music. I pleaded, broken and exhausted. Please, friend, I need to go home. I need to see her again. Take what you want, just let me go. Erin Eris put her bloody blade to my chin and forced me to look at her slit eyes. She said, Oh, little mouse, see your love someday. But when you find her, you'll never be able to play her song again. You've given it to me as you promised. She took the flowers from my hair and the bandits. They destroyed Yorick, beat him to pieces, and they beat me almost to death and left me on the road to suffer and die. And I suppose that's how I found the Shadowfell, and where I was for three hundred years. Methuselah looks at Yorick. If Yorick is gone, who is this? the 
end of this episode of the Sunless Citadel. Thank you so much for listening. Subscribe to us on whatever app you use to listen to podcasts and be sure to catch the next installment of The Sunless Citadel every Thursday at 12 p.m. EST. If you like the show, please consider leaving a review. It's a small way to show your support that goes a long way. To connect with us, follow our social media accounts, and if you'd like to support us, you can head over to our Patreon to join the conversation, view sneak peeks of our next project, and discover our fantastic bonus content. Our intro score was created by Patrick Corton from Off the Beaten Path Musical. The Sunless Citadel can be found in Tales from the Yawning Portal by Wizards of the Coast. The world of Nosomundus was created by Pedro Stockler. Thanks again for listening from all of us at the Storytellers Tavern.